Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star and namesake that is Victor Davis Hanson. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Right now, because there's so much happening, uh, so much of gargantuan importance, I'm going to mention the date. We're recording on October 14th. That's Saturday. Who knows by the time this particular episode is up on the World Wide Web, which will probably be the ensuing Thursday. I think that's the 19th or thereabouts. Um, you know, Victor, there may be a new Speaker of the House. There may be some um, incredible incident in, in Gaza. We don't know. But uh, we, will re- we will cover those things after the fact. But right now, I think today, Victor, we have – it's an opportunity – to uh, look at some of the some of the folks who you think share the blame should should shoulder the blame should be blamed for the predicament we are in in middle middle east we america are in it globally and uh, before that though american citizens are in a a predicament an economic predicament so we'll we'll start with your thoughts on that and then move into some of the the blameworthy folks, and we'll get to all that right after these important messages. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, just two two headlines and they buttress each other. Americans suffering. There is a record 49% of Americans say living standards are eroding under Biden. That's up 10% in one one month. I'm kind of surprised it's only 49%, but it's a but whoever keeps these records, this is uh this is record level. While of course Joe Biden is going around tight um, um uh, promoting Bidenomics as if it's some masterful thing. Meanwhile, Victor, uh Paul Krugman, New York Times columnist and Nobel prize-winning economist, which I just don't understand. I'll call it a lie. Krugman says the war on inflation is over. Not so fast, others say. So, Victor, here's a Nobel economist who... who former Enron economist. <laughs> correct. Who looks at inflation and says it's over, but does not include the costs for food, or gas. energy, shelter, used car in his calculations. So, yeah. Victor, America's suffering... Anything you'd like to say about that? I guess we, we move on. they're not suffering because the price of jewelry hasn't gone up. I don't know what he's talking about, but, you know, in the last year or last 18 months, I um, I had a decision to make with this older house and all these buildings that used to be the center of a, you know, 180 acre farming complex. And they were built by my great great grandmother. And I didn't know what to do. We had a fire in the house, and so I, I don't think my children want to come back. But I decided to redo them all to their former glory. It took about a year and a half. But the point I'm making, Jack, is that I am just finishing now, and I looked at. I just was curious, so I talked to some of the guys at work and asked me. I asked them how much they would have charged me in 2018 or 19 when we had 1.8 percent inflation. Or I looked at plywood, you know, I've used, I had to put flooring in inch and a quarter plywood, uh, new roof, insulation, air conditioning, uh, metal ducting, sewage system, well, everything. And I came up with a figure of about $120,000 extra. It would cost me, had I done it, I would have saved that much two years earlier at E when Biden came into office. Wow. And... I I bought a, a pickup and then my son needed it. So I helped him with that and then got another one. I looked at the price of these pickups, what they were when Joe Biden came into office. And I figured it was about 15, 12 to $15,000 more. And so when he says Bidenomics and people talk about the real world, and I just was driving by um, on the way to the airport yesterday in Palo Alto and looking at um, gasoline prices, $6, $6 a gallon. Yeah. And diesel was almost 7 in the Bay Area. So what I'm saying is when people have to eat, 
And we had a party, uh, Bruce Thornton, my colleague, um, uh, has about the same birth date. So we, last weekend, we both, we, you know, were 70 recently. So we had it. And so I thought I was going to go get a few steaks for 12 people. Do you know what a, a, a really good ribeye steak is? Uh, not a big one. It's $35. Damn. And I thought, wow. And so the, what people have to do, and nobody can buy those except for a special occasion. I went to the checkout and the woman said to me, <laughs> She said, do you, do you realize what the butcher wrote on these? I said, yes. And she said, it's $230. Do you still want to buy them? Said, I'm having these people over $230. Yeah. And I thought they were, she goes, are they made of gold? Ha ha. And so in the real world, whether you're buying meat, I don't say that everybody buys a steak, but, but even hamburger and gas and, and your natural gas for your, heater and your electric bill and housing it's just out of out of sight for them to just look at us in the eye and say binomics work no it was a disaster you destroyed the middle class and that's why we're gonna we're gonna have strikes like you wouldn't believe it just so, so reminds me of the carter years everything about the Carter years stagflation uh stagnation and the whole world abroad, whether it was Soviets in Afghanistan or the Iranian hostages or the missiles put uh, against Germany, the whole thing was a it was just a complete meltdown with one big caveat that Jimmy Carter looked himself in the mirror and said, I'm an idiot. And my idiot policies may get us killed. So I'm going to have a Carter doctrine that no area that was American is now going to fall in the hands of the Soviet Union, and he upped the defense budget. And I don't see Joe Biden doing that. In real dollars, he's cutting it every year. Yeah. it's. Uh, I was thinking the other way, a better way of putting it was, if you take Israel and you said, I want to do all I can, can according to my station as president in the next two, in two and a half years of my new administration to hurt the Jewish state. Now, Get me a bunch of people and bring in old Robert Malley, get Blinken in here. Let's get the Obamas on the phone. Let's get Bernie Sanders in here and let's get a policy. And you would not have done, you couldn't have done anything worse. And it yeah. would have been something like this. How can we hurt Israel? Well, let's give them $6 billion because they're get, they only, they only are giving Hamas a hundred million a year. They only have a hundred thousand rockets. Let's get that up to 200 and Hezbollah too. Okay. And uh, make sure you ask for hostages so you institutionalize hostage taking so they know when they take in a hostage, it's worth several million dollars. Oh, did we get all the sanctions off? Yeah, we did. Well, let's make sure that nobody sanctioned that oil. And did we beg them for to pump more like we did the Russians and the Venezuelans before the midterms because we needed that price? Yeah, we did that. Okay, let's turn to the Palestinians. Did we... You know, on Trump canceled all that. Did we get that phony UN thing up so they could convey 700? Yeah, 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 we did. And did we get, did we make sure it got to the, uh, well, yeah, Blinken went over there and he bragged that we had given an aggregate billion dollars. Oh, well, did, it, did it get to Hamas? Yeah, yeah, it got to Hamas. And did anybody catch on? Well, you know, the State Department said that it'd probably end up terrorism, but who listens to them? Okay, that's good. And did we pressure Israel? Did we make sure that Netanyahu never sets foot here in Washington in any official capacity? Yeah, 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 we did that. And uh, what else uh, do we need to do? 
Well, there, we need to um, get the Abram Accords going. We we trashed that because of Trump's fingerprints, but now we're kind of, you know, we don't have anything else to do. It's a disaster. So we're going to bring that back, but we're going to have it in the context of Israel giving concessions. And so that's pretty good what we're doing. And that's what they did. And they couldn't have done a better job. Yeah. Sounds like a column, Victor. Uh, the, the Biden, the Biden doctrine. The Biden. I, I think you should. Uh, you should. Uh, I'll, I'll do that. I promise. Yeah. Hey, speaking of lying, uh, Leon Panetta, <clears throat> former congressman. He was actually a Republican once upon a time. Yes, he was. He's, state, a, uh, he's about two and a half hours district was is from where I'm speaking right now. Yeah. I've met him. I debated him once. I debated him. Uh, my wife in a certain I, place. Uh, it was up in Yosemite, and our local yeah. congressman at the time, Jim Costa, asked me to come up and politely. Uh, and it was during the um, Obama years, yeah, or maybe it was at the end of the Bush administration. And I, I remember he said, uh, "We're going to have a civil debate. It's going to be civil." Okay. And then we don't want to be ad hominem. I said, "Fine." So. He started, and it was just a. It was um, the Iraq War, or these crazy right-wing nuts, and it was just an ad hominem talk attack against anybody who didn't vote for Clinton dash Obama. And so, but it was it was very weird because he had a veneer of friendliness and exactly and, amiable. And, yeah, amiable, yeah, the, the, the Democrat Republicans can like uh, yes. kind of stink yes. to them, yeah. but it was very hardcore that you're an enemy, and so. I I debated him. I didn't think I did okay. And then I just said, nah, I'm not going to stay here. And I just got in the car and drove out. And uh, it, so, and I met a lot of Republicans that, you know, do business with him because I think he's an entrepreneur now. He was, he was uh, fundamental in the Cal State Monterey, CSU Monterey, which I think has been a disaster. It's a very politicized new campus at the old Fort Ord Army Base. Yeah, I, I looked at the curriculum online not too long ago, and it's it's about the most radical of all the twenty three campuses, and uh, you know, he's an icon. He's got a lot of Republican friends, so I'm not going to trash him or anything. I just that I didn't expect. I don't expect him to be a voracious source of bipartisan, correct anything. Yeah. Well, he he had an opportunity to be uh, at least honest the other day. Um, Brett Baer had him on on I don't know if it was on his show or it was midday. Anyway, he was interviewing him for Fox. Uh, um, um, Panetta is a former defense secretary, also head of CIA. He's also one of the signers, the fifty plus signers of the infamous Hunter Biden letter. Um, Russia, a Russian collusion letter. So after um, Bear asked him about Israel and Gaza, he said, well, you're here. I might as well ask you, you know, it's essentially uh, this has been proven false. It was proven. It was Hunter Biden himself said it was his damn laptop. Uh, do you regret signing the letter? And uh, he did not. He he put not I don't yeah, even say I, pussyfooted. I Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it was the it was the elder Cato Carthago Delinda. That's all he could say. You know, Carthage must be destroyed. Well, Senator Cato, there's they have met all of their terms of the Second Punic War. 
and they paid off. And Carthage must be destroyed. So, you know, Brett Burr said, do you, you know, this this evidence has come out and do you want to retract or reconsider? Uh, the Russians are dangerous. The Russians are dangerous. I have no apologies for uh, hunting up. Uh, but Hunter Biden himself has said that, the, well, the Russians are dangerous. And I uh, that's all he did. He just mouthed this. He didn't want to talk. All he all he had to do was it was a climate of hysteria. Mike Morrell called up Anthony Blinken, our secretary of state, said, can we give Joe Biden a repartee in the next debate? Because Trump's going to mention the laptop and maybe we can say it's Russian disinformation. Can you get the, the gang up? Yeah, let's get. Uh, well, we have to get some liars. Who's the best liars in the intel? Well, Brennan's lied twice. Let's get him. Well, how about Clapper? He lied. He even admitted he lied. Well, they'll make them the kingpins, and they'll get some other. They'll get, uh, I think Hayden signed it, right? He's the guy that thought, basically, he said that, uh, who did he say? What did he say yesterday? He just he, Michael Hayden, the former CIA director that had used a lot of right. Nazi meta- metaphors. Something he, about assassinating yes. Republicans? Yeah, yeah. He's He said that... Uh, Tuberville, you know, the uh, guy blocking him, he said yeah. basically that he wishes he was gone. I mean, dead. And so that's what that was what it was all about. And and then they got the regular guys that were the Washington factotums and they knew they would lie and they all signed it. And none of them have said I lied. And we had, a, a you know, an, an albeit conservative poll that said post facto that that thing changed their vote for a, a minority large enough to affect the election. And Hunter's yep. never all Hunter's done is his lawyers have said, basically, we're suing the computer repairman for release, releasing this material that in theory could maybe sort of be Hunter's. But we're not saying it is Hunter's. That's what they're doing. And it's it's Orwellian. Yeah. So, yeah. Leon Panetta is not he's that everybody should remember that there's a whole class of the Bill Clinton's, the. Leon Panetta's, and they're a lot smoother than Joe Biden. And they're even more effective than the Obamaites that are really, that show they're radical, radical. These guys are, I'm, I'm for bipartisan, and well, I, I work across the, and they're very hardcore partisans, but they just have it down a lot better. Yeah. And they came out in force with the laptop. Remember, they came out in force with the Benghazi, lied about uh, the nature of that attack on us. And basically said a video maker had caused a spontaneous uh, terrorist attack that uh, nobody could have foreseen. Wasn't that guy arrested even? For, in, in, yeah, for, put him, they, for a they, couple they, of days. They, they reversed, it, reversed his probation. I think they put him in back in jail for a, a year, and then they blamed him. They blamed him for making a video and. We had, I won't mention names, but we had some distinguished military people who swore under oath, apparently, that you could put a sophisticated uh, GPS mortar into the hands of a complete novice, and he could be an expert mortar person that could fire several hundred yards away and kill somebody right on target. And that was the evidence that it was spontaneous, rather than having somebody trained, and this was an Al-Qaeda dash radical Islam thing that was planned and there was plenty of warning that was going to come and we deliberately did not want to seem like we were occupiers although we were so we didn't beef up any of the security 
because we didn't know. That's what we always do when we're on the left. We don't want to offend our hosts. We don't want to offend radical Islam. We don't want to offend Mexico. We don't want to offend Hamas. And if that requires some people to die, well, that's collateral damage. Right. And that's why I think people are that we have a problem because we're people are not joining the army and they're not joining the air force and they're not joining the navy soon they may not join the marines and the the answer is they don't want to be collateral damage they don't want to be indoctrinated and told you're gonna this is lgbq and there's three genders and blm and you got to read professor kendi and then we're going to send you over to afghanistan put you in a very dangerous thing and you're Commander is going to have to call the International Criminal Court or something before he does a, a artillery strike, or he's going to be under that pressure from which it emanates, and they don't want to do it yeah. because they think that these that their commanders or their diplomats put their lives and their livelihoods second, and first not to offend people abroad that they're either scared of or they feel have legitimate grievances against the United States and they're everywhere. And we know they're everywhere because all you have to do is see what they say right during a crisis. Jack, Jake Sullivan, I mean, who was the point man on trying to persuade all of us that Trump's uh, server in his tower was communicating with Russians by pinging the Alpha Bank. He was rewarded by national security. And what did he say a week before? The Middle East is the quietest I've ever seen it. There's no problem. And we had Blinken with who cooked up the 51 intelligence and he got rewarded. And what did he say? Well, I've been meeting with the Turkish ambassador. And I think it's time to have a ceasefire. It's December 8th, Jack, and Pearl Harbor has been hit. Yeah. And FDR um, sends over Henry Stimson and Stimson says, well, you know, the responding to the Japanese imperial empire would just perpetuate this cycle of violence. We're a rules-based order. So we're going to talk with our Japanese envoys, get to the bottom of this. And whether it was deliberate or it was a rogue element of the Japanese government, we're going to have a lot of sober and judicious discussions. But we're not going to, in very Neanderthal fashion, reply to this because it just perpetuates a cycle of violence. We know violence has never solved anything and we we're not going to participate in. That's what these people would have done on December 8th. Well, Victor, we have a lot more of your thoughts to get out there about these people. These people would be the likes of Obama, Valerie Jarrett, Lincoln, Valley, Ben Rhodes, etc. And we'll get to all that right after these important messages. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'd like to remind our listeners about Victor's website, The Blade of Perseus. You will find it at victorhanson.com. Go there early. Go there often, just how they, like how they vote in Chicago. You will find links to all of Victor's writings for American Greatness and his syndicated column, the archives of this podcast, links to his many books, links to his forthcoming book, which is The End of Everything, How Wars Descend into Annihilation. That is coming out in early May of 2024, but you can pre-order a copy now uh, through Amazon. You will also find ultra articles, and these you'll click on one. Oh, that looks great. The Woke Hits the Wall. That's the current uh, ultra series, and you'll you'll realize you won't be able to read it. You have to subscribe. $5 a month, $50 for the full year. If you're a fan of Victor's writings, you really should be a subscriber. There is plentiful, well, I think two, at least twice, usually three times a week, Victor's writing original ultra content for his website. So the blade of Perseus, victorhanson.com. Please do check it out. By the way, my friend here is writing a ton of original material now on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. And if you go to at VD Hansen and follow him, uh, you will be, <laughs> you'll be getting even more of uh, Victor's brilliance. So, uh, yeah, Victor, we had talked, we've talked in the past. I have an obsession to you naming names, blaming people who deserves the blame for this madness as of, um, October 14th, which is the date we're recording few people, uh, we need to get your views on about what's their culpability for the, what's happened in Israel and with Gaza. So, Victor, the names we've uh, looking at here, and you can you can pick which ones you want to want to start with. We have Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Ben Rhodes, Valerie Jarrett. Okay, let's go. Anthony we'll Blinken. just go in. We'll just go in order. You okay. name a name, and I'll see. You, and I don't know. I haven't prepared, so you I just wanna, name them any order. I, okay, we'll play a little I, game. I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna make a twofer here. Okay. I'm gonna pick Obama and Valerie Jarrett. The reason is she is has been considered his his uh, eminence, however you feminize that, Greece, and uh, Iranian-born, well, even though I think of American parents, but considers herself Iranian. And I was reading something, Victor, she was a graduate of Stanford and, and really thinks of herself as Iranian. And Obama's Iranian policy, I, I have Funny feeling. She's got her fingerprints over over it. And Obama's Iranian policy is dead center to all this madness. So let's talk about get your thoughts on Obama and Valerie Jarrett. Well, Jar Valerie Jarrett, as you say, grew up in Iran. Her parents were American. I think her father was African-American or mother or maybe it was opposite was not. And uh, she grew up, I think, speaking Farsi. 
And she, I remember she gave it some kind of talk that she spoke French and she was involved in the housing authority and her critics called her a slumlord, but that's not important. The point is that she had a deep, even though she, she was born under the Shah. And she, by the way, if she had been born under the Khomeini regime and grew up there, I think she'd have a little different view. Maybe not. But the point I'm making is that she was deeply committed to normalizing. And that came through when Obama was campaigning in 2008 and attacking George Bush for isolating Iran. Iran. So as soon as those two came in, their idea, as I've said before, was to reach out to Iran. And they were getting very angry at Israel. And they felt that Israel was not making concessions to the Palestinians. And they did not know how to pressure them because deep down inside, the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Jordanians, and the Egyptians said, hmm, we'll tell you what, you Israelis, um, if you're tough on the Palestinians, three things are are good. One, we're going to trash you in the Arab press, and that gives us street cred. Two, you're going to suffer casualties. And three, and most important, you're going to get rid of these SOBs that we hate more than you do because they're always trying to attack us and call us names and they commit terror. And they're so that's what we're doing. So Obama and Jarrett looked at that and said, there's no pressure on the Israelis from the Arab world. And then Obama said, well, maybe we can get the the, MoMA, the um, Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Remember Morsi, the USC radical Islamicist? We'll push him. And he did. And then there was a coup and they all shoot. They threw him out. They threw our commie Marxist Islamicist out. Now we got another dictator, pro-American. What the hell's going on? We look at Jordan. We got a pro-American monarchy, the Saudi. Well, you know, well, we got Iran. Valerie said we got Iran and we can get promote them. But we can't promote them until after the all the elections. You got to get reelected. Remember, Vladimir, you made the deal that worked pretty well. You said you'd take down missile defense if Vladimir behaved. He did. That was your last election, you said. Then you took down missile defense and then he didn't invade Ukraine and Crimea, uh, Donbass and Ukraine until 2014. So let's make a deal with Iran that way. But we can't do it until all the elections are over. Ah, how about two, I don't know, 216, 217, two, yes. And we will do something that is very unpopular, but we won't make it a treaty. It's a treaty, but we'll never get through those crazy nuts in the Senate. They're too pro-American, so we'll just do it by fiat. And that's what they cooked up. It was a mechanism to press Israel and to press the Saudis with a threat of an empowered and even close friend of the United States, theocratic Iran. And with that baggage came exemptions for Syria, for Hezbollah, for Hamas. And even though Hamas was not a Shia group, it was pro-Iranian. And that's what they gave us. And then to, to sell it, it was very hard to sell it because they needed a couple of rhinos, you know. And so Ben Rhodes, the deputy national security uh, author, remember he gave the famous interview? How'd you do it? And he said, well, <laughs> we created an echo chamber. 
we created an echo chamber and these kids know nothing. They're nothing. He had absolutely contempt for these left wing little kids out of Harvard and Yale. So all he did was he gave a bunch of talking points and he leaked it to these individual people. I'll call up this guy from the New York Times. I'll say, I'm going to give you an exclusive. Guess what? This is what the Rand deal. I'll get, I'll call up the Washington Post. My assistant will give him an exclusive. And pretty soon we'll make a center of gravity and they'll all get together over the bar and they'll say, I have, I have it from a sort. I do too. Wow. This is great. And then he laughed and said, I created an echo chamber. And then they came back to me and said, why aren't you doing this? And I said, well, maybe we can do that. And that's what he did. And he bragged about it. So he was responsible for it. And so it was dreamed up by Obama and Valerie Jarrett, a few others. And it was implemented by line by Ben Rhodes. And there was a bunch of rhinos who went along with it. And they did because they were terrified of Iran and confronting it. Or they didn't want Israel to do it. And they said, basically, the whole premise was, we're going to get a lot of goodwill from Iran. They may not take hostages and embarrass it, and they won't get a bomb until we're out of office. We don't care about the United States. We just don't want to get a bomb on our watch. So that you was the, so, that's Victor, what those three did. When when Iran was seemed to be on the brink of some revolution and and uh, Obama did 2009, nothing. the Green Revolution. Yes, uh, Obama. He he for 15 days he didn't say a word. He wanted it to he wanted it to fail. There was a million people in the streets of Tehran. All they wanted from an American was saying, "We stand with you. You believe in constitutional government and freedom, and we stand with you and we can sanction. If you want us to sanction your theocratic government, we will stand." And he didn't say anything because during the campaign his whole talking point against in the primaries Hillary and then the final uh, John McCain was I have the ability as Barack Hussein Obama my fake name basically because he you know he was Barry Sortero for a long time of his early years but he he David Axelrod and he said that that I have a particular currency with the Muslim world and I will put it to the advantage of these stupid deplorables and clingers and they don't know what's good for them, but they have a president now. They can talk to the Iranians and get a detente. That's what they did. Well, let's uh, get your thoughts on Anthony Blinken, which you talked about a little earlier. But anything truly. Well, Anthony uh, Blinken, as I said before, got the job because he we were talking about Leon Panetta and the other podcasts. He was the one that. Allegedly, because Mike Morrell says he's a liar and he says Mike Morrell is essentially a liar. But he called up the interim former former interim CIA director and said, we need some help. Joe's floundering. He's even in the polls. Uh, Trump may pound him in the next election, the uh, next debate. We've got this election. Can you get a bunch of. Basically, good guys that lie, get Brennan, get Clapper, get the Hayden, get the whole bunch and lie. Panetta will help get them all in there to lie and say that Hunter's laptop that he says is authentic is not authentic. Nobody can find out. The FBI won't. We've told, you know, we made sure they won't release it. So it won't have any public forensic analysis. They already knew it was authentic, by the way. And that's what he did. 
And then he was made secretary of state. And all these guys worked. Remember that in the Obama administration. So they were conduits to Barack Obama. Ben Rhodes, that whole group, they're still talking to them every day. And his idea was, hey, Barack, you know, hey, Barack, we're going to get that Iran deal. So as soon as we get in power, we're going to go right back. And uh, Barack says, wow, they're really hurting that nutty Trump. He took out Soleimani. He's threatened them on the high seas. He's got sanctions. They've lost $50 billion. So they'll be eager for us to let all that go and go back to the old Soleimani. And that's what they tried to do. And they almost did it. Yeah. But in the meantime, by easing sanctions, they gave and giving. It was before they gave the six billion, or they haven't quite given it. They gave over a billion dollars and other relief. And that uh, actually, has- Victor, if I may, I heard Larry Kudlow give a talk the other day, and I think it's a, sta- a staggering amount more in, in the, the permission of, of, of Iran, Iran to sell oil, for example. Yes. Well, if you yeah. do that, it's thirty billion. Yeah. And remember, we was it four hundred million dollars in their favorite currencies that we airlifted on a pallet and pallets, yeah, yeah, at night. And so it was so good, Barack and Blinken and Sullivan. It was so transparent that you had to give them the money at night so nobody would see it. And so that's what they did. And then Blinken comes in and he gets to Anchorage with the Chinese, and he's going to be with Sullivan. They think, well, you know, the Chinese were so. You know, they were they didn't like us because of Trump's crudity. In fact, they were scared of Trump because he staged his Trump psychodramas in front of Chi. Remember when they were eating? He said, I just bombed ISIS. So Trump knew how to handle them, whether you liked his methodology or not. But they said, we're not Trump. And when we tell the Chinese we're not Trump, they will reward that kindness with similar recipicity. So they went to Anchorage and the Chinese just said, you're racist. You're awful. We hate your guts. That's it. Shame on you. And they just sat there. And the next thing we knew, there's a Chinese balloon two years later. And, oh, it was going to crash in Alaska anyway. Oh, it, it was in Wyoming. We couldn't shoot it down with all those people in Wyoming. It might have killed somebody. Oh, we didn't do anything because it didn't have any ability to spy. And that was off to the races. And pretty soon, China was threatening to invade Taiwan. And so when this crisis came around, Blinken was Blinken. And his first propensity is always to be terrified of our enemies and pressure our friends. So he met with Turkish uh, foreign minister and they cooked up almost immediately when they saw all the pictures of the dead Jews. The Turkish minister said, hmm, those crazy Israelis are going to hit hard and they're going to hit Muslims. And secretly, those guys, I'm happy they killed all those civilians. I can't say that, but I can tell this naive who masquerades as secretary of state that we'll have a joint communique and he can brag because they love me. Barack Obama, his former boss, said that Turkey was their conduit to the Middle East. The Ottomanist Islamicist Erdogan, who took Santa Sofia, uh, the UN uh, memorial site, and turned it into a mosque, as it had been earlier before the Ataturk secularists. So my point is, um, 
he released a, a co-author and said that it's time for a ceasefire. Time for a ceasefire. You know, isn't that funny? Not, not, not with Hamas. He didn't. When they started hearing that there were fifteen hundred killers all over southern Israel, and it was going to take Saturday, Sunday, Monday to round them up. He didn't say on Saturday night we call on Hamas to have a ceasefire. No, he waited till it was all over, and then you know, as I wrote in a column. A Lincoln-esque second inaugural, the wrath of the Lord is about to fall, basically. And that's what he didn't want. And then he had to retract it. So I didn't retract it. You didn't retract it. Our listeners didn't retract it. He retracted it. Why did he retract it? Because he knew that it was embarrassingly stupid. And he should have known that of all of our enemies in the Middle East, the most insidious, the most formidable is not Iran, it's it's Turkey, because Turkey is a member of NATO, because at the Insular Air Force Base, we have atomic weapons there, nuclear weapons, and it's very dicey about uh, our possession of them. I think in a time of crisis, they surround the, the, ba- the base. They almost did during the, the coup, and they are a friend of Russia, and they have arms sales agreements and exchanges with Russia. And we had to stop the F-35 component assembly with Turkey because they were basically allowing the Russian anti-aircraft systems to have a inside advantage how to defeat the F-35. And they oppose my ancestors. <laughs> Not that that matters. The Swedes getting it. Yeah. The Sweden was a win-win. They've got a huge arms industry. They've got great fighters are right on the border with Russia. And they've gone from neutral to pro pro. And they've got they're getting angry at their own immigration. So he opposed that. We had to. And, you know, Turkey's got the largest army except for us. And it shouldn't be in NATO. And everybody knows it shouldn't be in NATO. But it's like it's more trouble to get them out than it's worth. And he knows that. So he so why would you meet with him? He's pro-Hamas. He's got Hamas people in Turkey. And then the second person was Gutter. Gutter has the architects of Hamas living in Gutter. They allow their money to be transferred from Iran and other revolutionary regimes to Hamas via, via their financial institution. And we have a U.S. CENTCOM base there. Yeah. So if you put a base in a Muslim country that's anti-democratic, and that's what I think Turkey is, its elections are a sham. And they control the country. Why would you want your base there? And I know a lot of people in the military said, Victor, you're an idiot. These have been there for years. We're well aware of the tensions. We're well aware of our mechanisms to deal with the tensions. And these bases represent multi-billion dollar investments. They give us leverage on those countries. No, they don't. What about Afghanistan? What about that base? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You gave up a much better base called Bagram that had a $300 million refit and you walked away from it. And then you concentrate in those two countries. And believe me, if there's a Middle East wide war, do you think that the Turkish or gutter government is going to let you take off? No. Didn't Turkey wasn't. Gosh, I forget, Victor. Didn't they preclude us from. Airspace or, or something? Uh, well, what happened when they had that military coup a few years ago? And there were some tense moments where they surrounded our Air Force Base. Yeah. And he had said some very strange things early on. He's told the Americans not to remove those nuclear weapons. And he had said reportedly that he felt that they had a 
proprietary right to them. And that should have, and I hope right now they're taking them out. I wrote a column about it about four or five years ago. I hope they're taking those, you know, I hope every month they take one out. Yeah. Or maybe they've got them out by now, but to leave them there is crazy. Because yeah. one day the Turkish army is going to swoop in there and take them. And they only need one. And so my point is that they are culpable. And Blinken, he should have never met with a Turkish foreign minister. Yeah. And so you look at, and then we get to who, Mali, is he next on your list? Well, he he uh, he is. You talked about him at some length on that other uh, uh, the great podcast you did with with Sammy about what happened in the war. But yeah, give us a little praise on this uh, criminal, actually, right? You know, borderline criminal, not convicted yet. But go ahead. Well, Robert Malley was a hardcore pro Iranian, pro Hamas journalist who became a diplomat. And under Obama, he was their ISIS expert. Remember ISIS expert when ISIS took over half of Iraq? And that caused Donald Trump to bomb them into the Stone Age and get rid of them later. And then he was our Hamas expert. He, I remember when they were, he was being mentioned and he was, you know, he, he said things like it was a big mistake um, to think of Hamas in terms of terrorism only. That, you know, that's like saying it's a big mistake to think of the Nazi party in Germany only as killers. You know, because and I think he said they have social and political movements and they're they're widely rooted. Yeah. Just everything he says about Hamas uh, could be said about the Nazis. You know, it's a big mistake to look at the Nazi party in 1930s as solely a political movement. They're widely cultural. They're widely social, i.e. they go into the university and they took it over. They go into foundations. They took it over. And, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about them. And that's what people said. You know, you don't really know that the Nazis are environmentalists. They make hiking trails. And he, so he said that. And uh, he also said, you know, once in a while we disagree. Uh, you can talk to them and they're rational. They're not crazy. Yes, I agree with that, Mr. Mali. They are rational. When they wanted to go kill the 1,200 Jews, they just didn't crazily say Allah Akbar hop the fence and run around like crazy people, uh, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood's final scene with the Manson family. No, no, they were rational. They planned it for a whole year. They had blueprints of every kibbutz. They had a mock-up of how to do it. They were rational killers. You're right about that. And he said, uh, you know, it has a charity. I think he said, Jack, they have a charity organization. Yes, so did the Nazis. They had all sorts of charity organizations. They were killing people with multiple sclerosis at Dachau, but they had a charity organization. And, you know, he said that you can't defeat them. You, everybody's got to understand that. You cannot defeat them. What are you going to do? Go into Gaza City? Well, the Romans went into Carthage, and if you read Polybius um, and Appian, it wasn't pretty, but uh, once they broke through the city, and unlike Gaza, Carthage had the second largest, at that time, it had the largest fortifications in the world. And Scipio Emilianus, they did break through it, and they went house to house, and they destroyed Carthage. And we did go into Fallujah. And as I said, I visited Fallujah, and the U.S. Marine Corps did rid Fallujah of ISIS. 
It might have not been pretty, and George Bush might have put it off until after the election. Um, but I came, you know, later. I wasn't saying I was there when it happened, but I saw the houses and the infrastructure, and you could see the nature of the damage, how they did it. So there are methodologies that they can do it. When he says that Hamas cannot defeat it, be defeated militarily, that's like saying, oh, my God, it's 1941. And they attacked and they took out seven of our battleships. And we only have three carriers. And they took the Philippines and they've got Singapore. They've got the Dutch East Indies. They've got the breadbasket and the Mekong. You can't fight these people. They're in China. We've got an army the size of Portugal. They can't be defeated militarily. No, they can be defeated military if you want them to. Yeah, if you want money, if you want to spend the money and the investment. Victor, we have one more infamous person of culpability to discuss, and that's Joe Biden. And when we get your thoughts on on him, I I would like to uh, layer into this some of the facts that have come out about the the six billion dollar deal his administration has uh, made with uh, Iran. We'll get your thoughts right after this final important message. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, I, I was reading a piece today by Andy McCarthy at, at uh, National Review. And Andy, uh, it's it's titled Biden's Iran deal is even worse than it looked. And and the particulars of the deal, here's six billion bucks as a you know, ransom for it's either five or six Iranians. Two, two or three of them had to go back to Iran, sent back. Three of them, and their names are Kashani, Hassan Zadeh and Afra Siabi have all been granted. They get to stay. So these are three people who were who were uh, uh, committing acts of espionage and just pure evil against America. They are allowed to stay in America. And as part of the deal, they've gotten um, clemency. Joe Biden has given them executive clemency. This is. I, I can't we can't curse on this. On well, this, I, I, guess, I mean, we? Robert Malley was <laughs> we, in the association. Biden appointed Robert Malley and Robert Malley 
is under FBI investigation for deliberately leaking classified information, I guess, purportedly to our enemies. But more importantly, as you saw in that Semaphore article, there was a ring of both Iranian nationals and Iranian Americans that were mouthpieces and taking their PR orders from Tehran. And he was working with them and ensured they had influential positions in the State Department. And, you know, the $6 billion, I never quite understood it. It was South Korean money that was frozen, uh, I guess, for oil sales. And it's been sitting there and it was forfeited. And it was a violation of the sanctions. And so the U.S. said to South Korea, you're not going to give it to Iran. And they said, okay, I guess they liked it. Maybe they owed it and they got oil. I don't know the particulars, but then Biden wanted to do what he always wants to do. He always wants some ceremonial event to highlight himself at the expense of us. So if it's the 9-11 20th anniversary, we get of Afghanistan in time so we can take credit for that celebration. If it's Hostages, he wants to get hostages back by paying basically billions of dollars for them. And he gets this money and he's going to transfer it. And then the whole thing blows up because of the war. And does he stop? No, no, he's pressured. And then public opinion starts to turn and a few Democratic senators and representatives actually for the first time that I've seen in his administration start to question him. They don't do it on the border. They don't do anything else, but they're starting to question him. And now they may freeze it. And you say there's these other side agreements. We all know that we all know that the people who are running the government, the Obamas and their kindred have a special affinity for Iranians that work for this regime. Remember how the left looks at Tehran if it is westernized and corrupt under the Shah and the standard of living goes way up and women get the vote and there's some modern, then that is a sellout colonialist, neo-imperialist project. Right. If it's corrupt and it's theocratic, then it's indigenous and it's genuine and authentic with one major exception. If the dictator goes Western and he's pro-free market, private property, prosperity. He's no good. But if he goes Western and he's LGBTQ and pride and George Floyd, he's okay. And so that's where this is all coming. And I think finally people got so angry because if $100 million gives you these rockets I guess they're a million bucks a piece out of something like that. And they're very accurate and they can destroy the ability of Iron Dome to shoot them down by their sheer numbers. And what well, you're going to give six billion. And then you look at the straight face like Blinken did and Biden did and say there's no connection between weapons that have been attacking Israel and the six billion for two reasons, Jack, because it hasn't gotten there and because the Iranians say, we promise it'll only go for hospitals and medical care. Okay, so Jack's going to give me a million dollars in two weeks. And I'm broke right now, and I've been giving a bunch of money to my cousin, just to take an example. But 
if I know I'm going to get a million dollars from Jack, I'm going to give my cousin a lot more money, even though maybe he's a felon in jail. I'll give him more and more money because that's going to be replant. That's the attitude. And then if I say to Jack, oh, yes, you're going to give me a million dollars and I promise it will not go to my cousin to get him out of prison. It will only go to the, my health care plan and my chemo treatment. And Jack says, OK. And then nobody. How do you know? How do you know? And Mr. Blinken, then it was almost he gave an. Did you notice that he gave an argument against himself? He yeah. said that. You can't tell with Iranians how it's used, but you should give it to them because they say this is going to be how it's used. Yeah. Cross your fingers and give them the dough. Yeah. So basically, long and the short of it, Joe Biden wants to give six billion dollars of South Korean money to Iran so they can send through Damascus Airport thousands more rockets so they can replenish their stocks and they can overpower Iron Dome and the result will be more dead Israelis. That's just the fact. This guy is president because he was vice president and he's vice president because he allegedly added foreign policy gravitas or something like that to to a junior freshman Senator Obama. Do you think that you look back that from the catastrophes around the world and this was engineered by a man and I don't get into the non-compass mentis, Victor, because if I I think if he was totally compass mentis, he'd be doing oh, he's the much same better. Crap. He's, he's much doing. better. I mean, as far as his own culpability. Yeah. The fact that he doesn't know that he's Joe Biden is much better because he doesn't do as much damage. The damage is being done by his puppeteers. But a cognizant Joe Biden, this was a guy who praised Strong Thurmond and James O. Eastland. He used the the word boy for African-Americans three times now during his tenure. He said they made a racial jungle. He said, put you all back on change and you are a junkie and you ain't. I mean, the guy and Barack Obama's the first black person that can basically talk. He's an out and out racist. He's got all sorts of problems that we don't even talk about. He's got the terror read that, according to Kamala Harris, she should be believed about her allegations of sexual assault. He's got this. He's got the Biden. I don't want to say I want to be. This is funny, but it's not funny at these times. The Biden gene for exhibition. And I don't know what's wrong with that family. But why don't you give a quick little precee? Uh, well, I was thinking, yeah, I mean, people have noticed, but you got Hunter, who's a crackhead and he's with prostitutes. Isn't that enough, Hunter? Why do you have to take pictures of yourself in full nudity? Again and again and again, we don't want to see you. you I know he didn't think we were going to see him because the laptop was lost. But why would anybody do that? OK. And then we got Joe Biden and we've got a lost diary that says he likes to be showering, I guess, nude with his daughter at an age that was not appropriate. Myself. And I think every listener out there says it's not appropriate for a male to take a shower with a female child at all. Once they can walk, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even I I can't even imagine it. But the idea that you would do that at puberty is actionable. By the way, also also likes 
to skinny dip yes. in front of secret. So he was yeah. he had a bad reputation and he was the most unpopular president, vice president, but vice president, because he had a tendency being Joe thinks he's in good shape. The guy who slams people's heads on the counter, who threatens to take Trump behind the gym, who took on corn pop with a measured piece of chain. He's a tough guy who works out. So he likes to swim and then he likes to jump out naked in front of female secret service agents and that they didn't like that. I mean, they didn't like his dog biting them 12 times either, but he didn't care. And then we got the latest Biden. So these are three or four incidents. And then we got Freddie Biden, who's in his 60s, and he takes a full frontal picture of himself naked, and it ends up on a gay porno. And he says he's hacked. But it didn't make sense because... A, how many people listening have taken a full frontal picture of themselves? I can't even imagine a person would do. I've never done it. I would never even consider doing it. But if you were stupid or narcissistic or sick enough to do it and you put it on your phone, you think somebody's going to call you and take it? And how would it, if they did, why would it end up on a gay thing? And so... The point is that the, it's just That's one too many of these exhibitionist stuff to not say that this family is deeply, deeply troubled. And you add superimpose on that paradigm that they all have been involved in the Biden shakedown. And this is a disreputable family and it should be nowhere near power. None. And, you know, they all they all presented themselves as the antithesis to Trump, Trump, the philander, Trump, the wheeler dealer, Trump, the exaggerator, Trump. Yes, there some of those allegations were accurate. But look what Trump did compared to Biden. When Trump left office, we were not pulling out of Afghanistan a mess. Russia was not invading Ukraine. China was not talking about taking Taiwan. Eight million people were not coming in. And there was no way in hell that Iran and Hamas were going to attack Israel. No way. No way, no how. So, and, you know, it was very funny because I remember there was a story. Do you remember this about Trump that he had once said to someone, if I was young, I would date somebody that looked like Ivanka? His yes. daughter. And they went nuts. Do you remember that? Yeah. They said that is incestuous. That's sick. That's horrible. Well, how about taking a shower with your daughter at puberty? No one said anything. So the whole media thing was it, it just if you yeah. applied the standards that they applied to Donald Trump and you applied them to Joe Biden, he would have by their standards been impeached 20 times yeah. for stuff he's done. And I, I just don't understand how they package this guy as good old Joe Biden from Scranton, the working class Catholic kid who's bipartisan and he's smiles and he's honest and sober. No, he's always been a crook and he's a grifter and he's a pathological liar. He always lies. He always, whether he's cognizant or not, doesn't matter. And he's got some kind of fetish about nudity and blowing in young people's hair. If Donald Trump, or George W. Bush in a 
line of reception at a tarmac overseas had taken a small girl and done whatever that little nibble turkey gobble trick was on that poor girl's neck. Gosh, that yeah. would they would have been done. Yeah, well, they would have been done. And yet he does that repeatedly and nobody says a word. Yeah. As well, president. Victory, yeah. I, 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 uh, girls hair and they don't look you look at their facial expressions yeah. and they think, wow, this is a creepy old guy. Can, the fact is, the president, does he get to do that to me? And that's what's sick about it. He uses his office as a bully and he's never subject to any type of reprimand. And, you know, it's just, it's just bizarre. It's just the utter bankruptcy that the left create uh, foisted upon us through this weird election where all of a sudden, instead of 30 people voting absentee, 70 did with almost no authenticity of the ballots and the way that we had, been accustomed in the past. And then we had all these creepy people like Mark Zuckerberg secretly putting $419 million to absorb the work, all of this stuff to get this guy and then to lie and say that he was robust. And I read these things from these columnists. He's robust. I I don't say that about Donald Trump, that he's robust. I say he's 76 years old. He's in pretty good shape. He plays golf. But anybody who's 76 and I don't believe that Donald Trump weighs 215 pounds. Do you, Jack? No. <laughs> no. I weighed 215 pounds at one time. And I used to be six, one and a half at 215. And I was heavy. I had a gut. Yeah. And only long COVID has saved me. <laughs> and uh, my point is, Tough it wasn't diet. discipline yeah. on my part or diet, but I weighed right. 215. And I... So I know that Donald Trump is too heavy. I know he's 76. I know there probably will be health issues. But to say that Joe Biden, who can hardly walk, is vibrant and he can be a very successful president. And then everything that everybody warned him about has happened. When you see him shepherd around by the Japanese president or the president of Mexico up the stairs or tripped up uh, King Charles trip up the stairs the other day when he did it's uh, he's one fall away from oblivion it's going to happen i don't want it to happen it's going to happen because you can't fall that many times and then expect as president to have to perform some ceremonial role a role with stairs it's not it's going to happen yeah and then we're going to have kamala harris (laughs) oh my gosh plan b uh Hey, anyway, she's going to give us a lecture on Venn diagram. Oh, and and Canadians. Kids I just I just love Venn diagram. You know, I'm in this round circle on this round circle. School so. buses. Gosh, she's school buses, what a, what a electric clown. school buses. Yeah. Well, we our clocks run out. Yes. For today, my friend, except that we thank our listeners and uh, some who who uh, listen to this show via iTunes and Apple do leave, uh, do rank the show zero to five stars, mostly five stars. Thank you. The rating is over 4.9 and some leave comments on, uh, we, we read them all also read the comments that uh, many people leave on Victor's website, but here's one, uh, from, um, blueberry mom one it's titled VDH is the best. 
Thank you, VDH, for your insightful arguments and comments on current and historical events. I always gain knowledge and enjoy the ride as I listen on every podcast. Uh, dot, dot, dot. I also enjoy the farming stories. I come from a farming ranching background and became an unintentional blueberry farmer some years ago. You all accompany me as I work our little farm. Love and prayers from Southeast Texas. Cheers, Candace. Thank you, Candace slash Blueberry. Blueberry farming is very difficult. There's a lot of blueberry farmers here. It's a very, very labor intensive um, yeah, harvest at a time a- when wages are very high. So you have to be very brilliant to be able to pull it off. I don't know how you pluck those things uh, <laughs> with. Uh, I um, eat blueberries every morning, so I'm a big consumer. All right. Well, that's uh, why you you're no longer 215 pounds, Victor. You uh, you're, <laughs> you're in fighting fighting trim shape. Uh, I would like to, as we close, uh, thank those listeners who have signed up for Civil Thoughts, the free weekly email newsletter I write for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil. If you're interested in that. You can go to civilthoughts.com and sign up. And uh, remember, uh, please visit the Blade of Perseus. That's victorhanson.com. And, and I, I forgot if I mentioned it on this recording or the previous one, but Victor is writing a ton of original material also for uh, on X slash Twitter. And if you go to at VD Hanson, on X Twitter, you will you will see that's like two or three times a week now. Victor's writing these uh, tweeting, tweeting, uh, uh, and, and and they're pretty long tweets too. Great stuff. Anyway, Victor, you've been terrific. Thanks so much for all the wisdom you shared. Thank you, listeners, for doing just that listening. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye bye. Thank you, everybody. 